You're listening to Screeners and Dailies, part of the Real Change Movie Podcast. Right, so Coco stays on top, among other award movies debuting, starting to make some noise. There's a lot of good stuff coming out. There's a lot of good stuff, and the if these early screenings are any indication, when these things go wide, it's going to be a hell of an award season. I'm William Rankin. He's Charlie Stabile at Screeners and Dailies. We've got a pretty hefty show here. We're going to be going through, uh, of course, talking about where the box office is headed what we've got coming out in the near future which we know what that is it's coming from a no spoiler spoiler alert from a galaxy far far away and then we're also going to have a small small segment here i'm going to be talking to a buddy of mine his name's edward charrette he's got a movie premiering at the gramercy in new york on december 9th and he's going to talk about it as well as where you can get tickets and then we're going to get into some fun stuff because when we're talking about um, we're gonna be talking about whenever you have a <laughs> who are the worst guys to have a movie debate with the worst archetypes you know who they are we're gonna talk about some of our favorites and then to wrap it all up we're, I, I really don't know where Charlie's gonna go with it it could go any number of ways and I don't want you to spoil it just it'll you know we'll just call it in the ring I guess for segment four <laughs> yeah I don't really know what to expect for myself either but <laughs> so, we'll see what happens. I've already been called out from the other show. I know. So. I know, man. I'm, t- I'm telling you. You're be- I knew it was going to happen, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So right now, today, what we're looking at, it is Monday, December 4th. You know, over the weekend, really not too much came out with this first weekend after Thanksgiving. It's sort of like there's this quiet, this quiet calm before the storm, which will be Star Wars, which will be The Last Jedi, which comes out December 15th. Um, is that the Thursday or the Friday, technically? I believe, I it's, a, I believe it's a Thursday yeah. because yeah. I'm going on the Friday, and I know that that's not the opening day. So, um, it was really no surprise Coco came in. Coco still had a strong... Um, a very strong weekend, twenty-six million in its second full weekend, coming off of the holidays. It's still tracking a little bit behind where Moana was last year. I think, I think where it was. I'm trying to see what the exact number was. It was, uh, yeah, it's it's pacing about nine percent behind, which isn't too bad considering, you know, a lot of analysts said was, you know, hey, Moana is a is a princess movie that's going to carry a little bit more weight. It's going to have a little bit better legs. You know, than than a, than a movie like Coco, which is centered around a young boy. So, you know that. Well, also The Rock. Uh, I think to a degree, yeah. I think to a degree that would be it. I I I never I never got to see Moana. I heard though, like when you couple that with like where Frozen was, like it it was really cool to see, like basically having these two back to back, nearly back to back animated movies for young girls. It was really good. So. Mm-hmm. Um, What'll be interesting is where like I, Coco along with other movies, how they will fare once Last Jedi comes out. Now, of course, the good thing about Coco is I don't think it's it would really lose audience members to Last Jedi. It just doesn't seem like 
there's going to be a lot of competition between it. Now, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro, with, um, with his film, he will definitely be running right into that Last Jedi crowd. I think, though, they're going to be... They've only started putting The Shape of Water out. That was only out in two locations in New York over the weekend. So that one's going to be, you know, of course, widening as we get closer, get deeper into September, or I'm sorry, December. But it's tracking. It's got some amazing word of mouth tracking. The Disaster Artist opened in some, I think, in some limited, and it is killing. It is the way it's tracking when they look at analytics for YouTube uh, trailer views and just overall presence on social media. It's ramping up to be a fairly significant, I think, box office movie, at least for what it is. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I even saw one that said it could push them towards the Oscars, which I was like, that's insane. I have heard James Franco is is, is under Oscar talk yeah. right now. And that's mm-hmm. and that's neat. It's neat to hear just because, you know, I've uh I, I didn't I didn't put much into the movie when I heard about it. I was like, oh it's about that. Okay, cool. But didn't think it would go to this level. But I think it goes to a lot of credit goes to the studio and just the marketing team around it. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly what crowd they were going to be hitting. Again, the Last Jedi thing, how will it affect it? Eh, we'll see. But at the same time, like it just them. It's another movie that seems like it's on a different plane. Like it's just it's not really. Uh, I don't think going to be too far affected. But to kind of run down just a few of the other ones here, real quick, you had we talked about Coco number one. Justice League came in at sixteen. Five. This is its um, its third week, and then three. Wonder still hanging. Wonder's done amazing. It is at eighty-eight million cumulative. That's it's been a very successful, you know, family movie. It's gonna over, cross. Yeah. <clears throat> Thor Thor Ragnarok still at number four, just under ten million. It's it is only about eight million shy of three hundred million domestic. And you know, this is when we talked about when we first started the show uh, was uh, was Daddy's Home Two. It's now at a cumulative of eighty two point eight, which is really good for four weeks. That's, that's really good. Because I'll tell you, it didn't have the most spectacular opening. So or reviews. Yeah, and I mean to still be hanging around the top five. I mean, granted, as we said, there hasn't been a ton of things that have come out, but that's still you know it's pretty neat to see it out there. And of course. Um, a couple of the other ones. I, I think the one to, uh, here two that are really to be watching out for. It came in at seven and eight. Lady Bird, which um, has gotten th- the most rave reviews I've ever seen. I'm being I'm the so, highest I, rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes. All right, in history. I, I was going to save that for an argument later. That type of statement, but <laughs> but oh oh that is a pretty good one. But <laughs> but yeah, and I've and. One thing I think that's cool, and we're not going to get too deep into it today, I think there is becoming more and more of a swell of... I don't think we're in such a dire straits when it comes to movies because there's, I think, this genera- this late generation X, just beginning millennial generation that is starting to come to the point of producing and making movies that are personal to them that are coming of age from when we were... Uh, when we were coming of age ourselves, and I think they're slowly starting to win over. When you look at the, when you look at a lot of the movies that have come out over the last couple of years, it is slowly like there are more and more that are coming out that are these really interesting personal stories by younger uh, directors and writers. And I think this one is just another one that fits right in the crown. It just fits right in the crown jewel of it. So, um, the uh, the other one, of course, that came in right behind is three three billboards outside of. Um, mm-hmm of Ebbing, Missouri. It is, it's only in, I think 
it's only in just it, it's in around 1400 theaters right now so i don't think it's hit its widest yet uh, but it came in with four about four and a half million and of course it's it's tracking has been really strong especially for the director especially for francis mcdormand as well so the, the reason uh, to kind of wrap that all up like it's yeah, Last Jedi is coming out. It's going to do what it's going to do. It's paced, I think, now for $200 million is what they're saying. I, I think that maybe I don't know if that's the ceiling or, or, or whatnot, but um, we know that's going to put up a big number. But I think what's interesting is when you look at some of these smaller movies around it that are going to have wider releases in December, of course, ramping up towards Golden Globe season, and then, of course, later on into Academy Awards season, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there from a lot of really good directors. So, um, to shift gears now, I, I had mentioned it. When you brought up the, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes thing for, for Lady Bird, and it's not to demand, I, 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 I do want to see Lady Bird. When I heard like, you know, just mm -hmm. kind of a general premise, I was like, that sounds cool. I would want to see that. But when it comes ahead of and it's and it's no strike against you, sir, of course, but I'm glad you used it. It's the highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes. This made me think of who are the worst people that you can encounter in a movie debate. And I'm just talking about, or a movie discussion. And these are more like archetypes. I'm going to throw one out and just to kind of get it rolling. Miss, this When you encounter the guy who tells you, oh, well, the book is better than the movie. This is the easy Ugh. one, right? And it's not even just, it's not even just the... Um, the book uh, it's not even just the books better than the movie they go into it's like oh they changed so much they changed so much from the book <laughs> that you just you just don't get it all in there and i'll tell you man i'm gonna use here's here's i'm gonna use one example before i throw it over to you and that's the count of i'm gonna use the count of monte cristo okay the the 2002 movie yeah kevin reynolds okay. i think directed it if I'm not mistaken. Great movie. Who Great. We, we, you know, he takes off the mask. It's Kevin Costner. We know this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, of course. <laughs> now, you know, um, I, I pretty much had an idea going into it. I was like, I am almost 100% certain this is not going to be the movie. or the. This is not going to reflect on the book that I read my sophomore year. I love that book. I think it's an amazing story it's a f and it's not even like in, a, in kind of a popcorn soap opera way because that's what it is in a lot of ways but it's a fun journey to go through but i knew damn well when they were going to put that movie together it's like you're not going to go through all that stuff like in the in the third act where he's setting up the demise of all these people and and it, when you watch it like it has like this amazing like sword fight climax where the he he's able to spoiler alert kind of reunite with the woman that he was taken from and it's this happy ending that book is not happy at all like by the end of it it's sort of like this is what i've become it's sort of like batman it's a guy who's gone too far he's like he's he's gone this far for justice and revenge but at the end of it when it's all done it's like he's not the man he used to be and it's sad and the thing was i could have held that against the movie but i had a great time watching it i still do i think it's a fun movie I don't care it's not like the book. So anyone who comes up to you with that stuff, I just want to tell them to shove it. All right. All right. So <laughs> it just bothers me. It's just, it's weak. It's just Oh, you weak. think it bothers you? <laughs> no, no, no. It, 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 it does a number on me also. <clears throat> Go ahead and throw one out, man. You, Because you, you encounter some of these mutants as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the best is when you, you can actually back it up with facts because you read the book. Yo, yeah. That's, 
that's the best. And uh, the one I always throw out is Jaws. Um, what Steven Spielberg was able to do with that book uh, and, and turn it into you know, just the phenomenon that it was is, is, is just really a miracle. Uh, because the book, it's very similar in a way to the book uh, film translation that Field of Dreams got. Uh, a lot of people don't know Field of Dreams is based on a book called Shoeless Joe. And that book, which I didn't read, but when I heard what was different about it, I was like, oh, they were right to change that. Like Ray Kinsella has a brother and it's basically like a brother journey. And it's like, no, this should be one man's journey. But the thing about Jaws is there is way too many unnecessary um, uh, subplots going on in the book. I mean, it, it probably it works for the book, I guess, but it, it takes away from like the heart of what that story really is. Uh, like, which is just basically an overcoming your fear story. And in the book, uh, like <laughs> Richard Drivers's character, what, uh, Hooper? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's having an affair with Brody's wife. Ooh, and that makes for that, me. Th- smiley son of a bitch. <laughs> 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 well, we're all going to die. <laughs> um, he, that's basically the B plot. It'd be great um, if Brody makes book. he makes Dreyfus put the he makes Hooper put the tank in his mouth, and he Stop just it. And he just sits Stop there, it. just kind of like <laughs> I could just pull this trigger at any minute, man. We're <laughs> gonna Tarantino territory there, but um, like like stuff like that or, or or Psycho, like that's another great example. Um, and it's it's not to say that you know the book is always better than the movie. The movie's always better than the book. What I always tell people. Um, like, should I read the book before the movie comes out? Like, remember that was a conversation that was going on when like girl, with the dragon tattoo was coming out or gone girl. And, um, that's, that is one, there's an example, girl with the dragon tattoo. I I actually do prefer the book, but not to say that the movie isn't great. Uh, the Swedish film at least. But what I always say is I think everyone really should watch the movie first. Yes. And and then read the book. Because you're going to be spoiled is part of the problem. Like that's, yeah, a, you're going to be spoiled and, and, and B, when you read the book and then you go to see the movie, the first thing you're going to do is nitpick. Like you're not going to watch the movie for what it is. And so I always tell people it's, 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 if you want to enjoy both, like odds are reading or watch, seeing the movie first and then reading the book is the best way to go about it. And that's worked for me for years. Yeah. Now to, to touch on last thing I'll, I'll say on this, the touch on something that you said, I think that's very interesting. And I've only discovered this over the years. Um, where they go, it's not it's not enough like the book. Well, I've, I found out me, from me personally that just recently that I'm the kind of person that doesn't want it to be like the book because what what what's the point? So like a, a good example I can use is um, the first Harry Potter, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I saw that movie when it first came out. I didn't read the book until like two or three years ago. And I read the book and I hadn't seen the movie in years, but I knew I was going to watch the movie right after I finished the book. And then I see the movie and it is so much like the book that it actually it actually turned me off a little bit because it's basically like using the book as a blueprint and being almost too afraid to deviate from the source material. I mean, there's things that they left out, of course, but the things that are actually in the movie are all in the book. And I, I don't I've heard that the movies kind of change as they go along, which is actually really smart. But I mean, there I don't know why. Uh, and this is just a matter of taste, but I don't know why you would want to see a movie version based on a book that you love and have the movie version be exactly the same. Right. Because even even Stephen King has come out and said there are movie versions of my stories that did my stories better than I did. 
I remember um, he used uh, Stand By Me as, as a great example. At the end, which we will be discussing later on this season, but, you know, not, not to... For when, did, for, for when did that come for out? When did that, yeah. For when did that come out? And um, anyways, and basically at the end of the story, um, what, what's the character's name? River Phoenix's character, Chris Chambers. Chris Chambers is the one who picks up the gun at, at the end of the story in the, uh, in the novella. But in the movie, it's Gordy. Gordy's the one who picks up the gun. It makes sense. And it makes a ton it, of sense, that movie. It makes way more sense for, for it to be Gordy. Because I mean, he he's starting to become a man. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole thing, and it's his story, and it's told from his flashbacks and and, and what he remembers. And Stephen King actually went up to Rob Reiner and told him that that was way better than what he did, and and he thanked him. And that's the only reason, really, that Rob Reiner got the rights to do Misery, because Stephen King said that I believe Rob Reiner was the only director that he absolutely trusted, and that was simply because of what he did with Stand by Me. Because for the most part, with the exception of the, of the changing of the gun, it's a it's it's pretty faithful right. to the original story. So that's that's pretty much where I stand on it. See the see the movie, then read the book for maximum enjoyment of the, of the entertainment and art of the product. And I don't know how you feel about it, really, but I don't like I don't like the the movie to be just like the book. I just don't. No, I mean, well, the fundamental thing in the end of it is. Every when when somebody when if you give two people the same book, in their mind when they read something, they each they're going to see something different. They're going exactly. To, they're they're going to see something different, no matter what the writer puts out there. And they're in somebody's mind when we're playing the movie in our heads, our our very own exclusive screening in our heads of what we're reading. It's going to look different. But when you make a movie, that's the only that's the only way it looks for everybody. And that's right. and, and and that's why like you know I mean you you really are comparing like apples and oranges like there are two different mediums altogether so to to really get like get get crazy about like comparing them and then trying to be on a high horse because you say the literary version is so much better it's just like dude piss off man go kick rocks I mean dude I mean seriously I mean it's it's it it really isn't worth your time. Because I'll tell you what, I, and this ties into my, one of my next archetypes, I'm willing to bet some people haven't read the book. I'm, I'm willing to bet they haven't. Not all Which of book? Them. It doesn't matter. The oh, book, okay. Whatever okay. the movie is, it, it's, it's very easy to come in this, oh, I've, you know, because then what you, the way you can tell is just say, oh, yeah, yeah, what's the book about? Well, it's just what I've heard. You didn't read it, did right. you? Right. Ah. Well, it's like, it's like uh, a, a, an example I, I left out. Because I know enough about the book to know I will never read it is um, Forrest Gump. Right. Yeah. That I've heard they yeah. absolutely fixed that <laughs> for that for that movie. Because in the book, like when I hear about the things that happen in the book, I'm like, that sounds awful. Yeah. Like, I mean, like that sounds really bad. Same thing. Another one's a Hustler. Okay. The yep. the, bu- the book, The Hustler. There's no way it measures up. Like, if you really are going to compare the two, if you really want to go through this, it's like you're going to tell me that you'd prefer to do that versus watch Paul Newman. Okay. All right. Have a good one. <laughs> See ya. One thing I one thing I love is that whenever they make a novelization of a movie that comes out, no and and the and the book always has stuff added into it. No one ever says that, "Oh, that was way better than the movie." Right. <laughs> right. You know, like I remember reading the, the novelization of Dumb and Dumber <laughs> when I was a kid and I was like, "This is really good. Like they've got added scenes in here." You know? And uh 
Uh, one more thing, I do want to say this too. Uh, and there are, it doesn't matter how good CGI gets over time, you know, because the whole thing about CGI was that oh, anything's possible, anything's possible. There are still some things in books that just simply do not translate well to film. They just don't. You're right. No, absolutely, absolutely. And it also depends, I guess, also on, on whose hands that the film is in. But they just they just don't translate well. And, and then there are people who will get upset that those certain things aren't in the aren't in the movie. Um, like a recent example is that infamous scene from it that, uh, everyone's always wondering if they're going to put that in, like they thought about it, like, well, they can't do it in the miniseries from the, from 1990. They can't do, are they going to do it for the 2017 version? And no, they didn't. And there was a rumor that that's one of the reasons why Kerry Fukunaga, uh, ended up not doing the movie, uh, because he couldn't, you know, f- get any kind of leeway with the studio and how he could work that scene into the movie. I mean, it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. So that. That's how I. That's I mean, how I feel. It's about nothing it. against books. It isn't. It's no, just, not at all. It's these. It's, it's people. It's, it's, it's people. these people who like to use the use this premise to try and elevate themselves and, in conversation. Exactly, and they think it makes them look smarter. Right, and so they instantly become a target for me. Next, <laughs> uh, next up on my list of targets is that when you mention Rotten Tomatoes, it's movie ratings guy, movie ratings guy who tells you, "Oh, you dude, that's doing terrible on Rotten. Have you seen it, dude?" It's Wait. Tra- Wait, you also have to tie in IMDb 250. It's the with same, that. exactly. It's the same. Yeah, it, I mean, they just have separate camps, but they're of the same denomination, really. Okay. They really well, are. And, well, plus, Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is more like a modern. I look at Rotten Tomatoes like a modern day version of the Siskel and Ebert system, which is, I mean, as much as I love those guys, it's a highly flawed system. Yeah. Is the movie good or bad? That's it. There's no in between. Nothing. Well, it. And uh, that's, that doesn't work. Right. That just doesn't work. It's this aggregate source. I get it. Like you're the idea is you're supposed to try and by by assimilating this average, like the creating this average of all the reviews, you're kind of giving people a heads up as to where it stands with quote unquote and I use quote unquote very loosely or respected critics. See, I mean nowadays, like I, I don't I, I don't know how much weight I put on critics anymore because I used to respect critics that like really went that I mean, it sounds silly, I guess maybe, but went to school for it that really were deep entrenched in, in not just like film criticism, but just like art criticism in general to where like I would enjoy how they would talk about elements of a film and break it down where nowadays sure. it's about buzzwords. It's about, Ooh, who can have the, not, who can have the best way to tear down Gili today? Yeah. Come on yeah. in. What, how do you want to word it today, man? And there's YouTube so. videos of the top ten most uh, hilarious bad reviews for certain movies. Yeah, it, it's, and, uh, it, and those things get millions of hits. I get so the, uh, to tie it into what I'm talking about. I get so mad because I feel like ju- people are judging a movie based on a number and not on the movie itself. Like they're basing like they're trying to strong arm opinions on a movie, not based on the movie itself, but based on what a group of a hundred so on so on people have kind of put together in terms of an average number or whatever and it's just silly and i mm. love that martin scorsese wrote that op-ed that said like this is the stuff that's hurting filmmaking nowadays because to a degree he's right now i understand that it i understand that bad movies are made there are i mean they're not all winners okay but at the same time i think sometimes that number even when it's like even when you hear about a movie that's like in that 60s range you're like oh oh Oh, that's not good, right? But no, that may not be true. And it just comes down to where it's like, it still comes down, it still comes down to 
you have to really see it to be able to give that true. Like, I, I think to be able to really have that honest opinion for yourself versus like, oh, it's got that number. Well, that's not my cup of tea then. How do you know? Well, I, I feel like I fall somewhere in the middle here because there are these there are these people, and you can you can find them on comment sections and stuff like that. They're just like, oh, yeah, who listens to critics anyway? And, and they and they just kind of have that opinion. It's like no, it's like that's that's not the way it should be because that's once again that's that's another black and white thing. Like nothing in the middle, um, yeah. Because when these when these scores come out, if a movie is in the low teens, it definitely raises my eyebrow. You know, it's like that is weird. It, the, the the no man's land because you kind of touched on it yeah. is in that forty to sixty five range, where it, it's it, you know if you get below sixty, then you're considered rotten, and the movie's just considered bad. And it's like there are tons of good movies that live in that area like, of uh, you, forty to. You mentioned ahead. you mentioned Siskel and Ebert, and I, what I think is good about that, in the comparison is. They would talk about a movie in depth, fairly. I mean, they only had a half hour to, to crank through like three movies, but still, they would they would give a nice chunk of time where they would talk about why why they give why they either gave a thumb up or a thumb down to a movie, and that's lost. I feel like nowadays because all you see is just this percentage, and that's no, it. Yeah, and and the great thing about Siskel and Ebert also, and I think this is true, especially for Ebert. The, the show at the movies was almost, I mean, it was a great show. Uh, it, it was almost an advertisement for their written columns because it didn't matter. Like, yeah, they would spend like, like two or three minutes talking about a movie and getting their points across. But they, especially Ebert, he always wrote a review on that movie. And, he, and, you, and it was a, basically a longer version of the points that he would make uh, during, during his arguments with um, Siskel. So, you know, you'd get these little bit, these little sound bites. And, and if you were interested, you could go. I mean, you had to get this is before the Internet. So you had to have a copy of the Chicago Sun Times. But you could read that and you could see what he was talking about and, and the context in which that he saw the movie and, and the, why he said the things that he said it at the movies. And it would be even longer. And that was what was cool about that. I am. Um, it's and I'm, to kind of like temper it now a little bit. It's like. No, again, I don't. I don't mind, you know, reading about movies. What, what critics think? Like, if they have a valued, like, you know, good, like, you know, a good analysis, a breakdown of, of all the elements of the movie, or what works, what doesn't, what it made them feel, what it made them think. I just don't like when people approach a conversation about it, like, and their lead off is, oh, well, it only got twenty six percent. That's all it got. And that must mean it's right. And it's like, wait, hold on. Why, though? Why is it at that? Tell me why. If you See, can't, a, then go away. That's about what the score... It's funny. Like, it, well, Let's talk about this for a second. 26 27%. I haven't checked it in a while. But that's about where Batman versus Superman is. That's about where it is. And do you know what has like a 90? The previous Batman movie, Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> now, me... No, I'm not kidding. And me, personally... I think those movies are just as equally mediocre as, as one another. And yeah, like one's way too high, but Batman versus Superman is, I mean, it's not very good, but it's not nearly like I like got a 26 or a 27, you know? And, and that's, that's the real disconnect. I think at least, at least for people like me, where I'm just like, why is this movie so much more light than this one? Cause man, my God, dark Knight rises is boring. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> but 
But I mean, look at the IMDb scores for them too. Like, I'm not kidding, man. Dark. Like, if if you're a great modern movie, like in modern times, if you are a truly great movie that comes out within the last like five or six years, your best chance at a great score, like the best score you can possibly get on IMDb, is an eight point three. It never really goes above eight point three. But you know what? Dark Knight Rises has an eight point six. <laughs> 8.6 it's like number 30 or 40 on the top 250 i'm like uh, <laughs> like even to say it out loud like it's so funny like it's one of like my favorite pastimes too man is to go through the imdb 250 and just like yes 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 it's just constant greatness and then dark night rises dark <laughs> dark night like sandwiched in between like il postino and uh and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and 12 angry men you know <laughs> that always gets me too that always gets me too whenever i see il postino because the first thing i think of is the kevin costner movie. yes <laughs> and i'm like that movie is not in a 250 you can't convince me but but no some italian love story from like the 90s it's actually yeah. it's really good i've seen it oh i've a heard a long it's time ago it's it is yeah. it's a good movie but, but, uh, and, and, yeah. but you can't judge IMDb because basically what these are, these are popularity. That's a popularity score. Yeah. You know, like, like most of the people that, that vote on those movies, I'm not kidding. Like there's maybe, I want to say 10 to 15 movies, maybe that have over a million votes on them. All three of those Batman movies have over a million. And that, this is a, I don't, I don't want to get into this, but this is a conversation for another time is, is just basically Christopher Nolan, not necessarily his films, but the way that people react. Oh, if we can dig into 2008 because that's no, where we it all will. went downhill. Oh my goodness. Can I throw out one of these people that yeah, I don't like please, do running it. into? Uh, <laughs> if you're ever like in a discussion with somebody and you're like both loving this movie that you're talking about and then some jack off decides to chime in and go, what movie is it? And you tell them and they go, oh, well, that was good for the time. Oh, good for the good time for the guy. Time. The good for the time guy. This is this always just lights a fire. It's the <laughs> most backhanded compliment. Yeah, it's, it was good. It was good when it came out. I was like, how do you know you weren't even alive? <laughs> I feel like that's a big trouble in Little China conversation. <laughs> it's just like because like a movie that would fall into good for the time, especially in the days that we live now. A great example would be something like um, Superman the movie. Superman the movie falls into this because and, and and the thing is the thing that's great is it's usually it always comes down to the same thing. Whether it's Superman the movie, oh it doesn't really look like he's flying, or it's Jaws, you never even see the shark. Which is, you know, misses the point of the movie, but also like even when it does come out, it looks fake. I'm like, have you been up close to a shark? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know where the basis for this comes from. I mean, I mean, if you really want to dive into it, you know what was good for the time? It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life was really good for the time, but it holds up. It's like, good I'm not for saying, any time. That it's good movie. for any time. There, I'm, not, I'm not saying that every movie stands the test of time. Um, look at the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club movie from the late 70s. That movie does not hold up but you know what that movie was hated when it came out in the first place and you got the bgs and and i don't know kenny Loggins out there singing beatles songs so yeah like that movie wasn't liked in the first place but this good for the time stuff like another one would be psycho and or, or halloween these minimalist uh type horror slasher movies that people 
you know, they're so desensitized nowadays because of the horror movies that came out uh, in the 80s and 90s up to now we're up to the Saul movies, which we've discussed before, but how completely over the top and disgusting those movies are. And I just I mean, but this is getting into like why certain movies scare me personally as opposed to others. I mean, you can you can kill people left and right in a movie, but, you know, unless I care about the characters and I really don't care. And 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 they don't see why Psycho is such a brilliant movie in, in terms of like of direction. Like I always say, Psycho is the most directed movie I've ever seen. Westerns so, Westerns get hit hard in this because because <laughs> I'll tell you I I'm not kidding you. I had somebody phrase it one time where I wanted to go. You realize the movie didn't come out in the Wild West, right? You realize that. You realize that came out like in the 20th century when you know. There was technology available to make movies. <laughs> Did this happen to you in like some argument with like uh, Good and the Bad and the Ugly or something? Well, like like I, I've I get real defensive on that movie because I have it like it's in it's it's in my easily my top three of all time. I think it's it's absolutely phenomenal. But like, and I remember I got into a I got into a fierce with a few people because of, I would put this up against Dark Knight, and I'm like. It's not even close. Oh, here we go. I, you know, it's so it's funny you say that, dude. I think those two movies are, I'm not joking, they are right next to each other on the 250. <laughs> yeah. That, I'm not kidding. Oh, yeah. It's, th- this was all part of that summer of 08 when things went haywire on IMDb, and then that's why, good, that's why things get taken away from us. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but no, it was just, it, it, the, the overall arc of it was just like that Westerns are boring, and they're a product of their, of their time, meaning, you know, like the... You know, mid twentieth century. You know, all the way up until like the, the you know the seventies, things of that mm-hmm. nature. Unforgiven sometimes gets a pass, but then sometimes I think as time goes on, it's it kind of gets left out, unfortunately. But um, you know that the <laughs> good for its time guy. Like I almost want to go like like. So what do you think of like yeah? It's like you said with um. Uh, it's a wonderful life. Like, how about pretty much any black and white movie? Is that pretty much just like, dude, um, dude, um, dude, like... You, you nailed it. That's my next one. That's my next guy. It's a different guy. <laughs> like, it's it's a different guy because this is actually probably the one I get the most. And um, I, I don't want to just say it's black and white movies, but let's let's, let's be honest. That's that's what it is. Uh, it, it's I don't watch older movies, guy. Uh, and it's it, it's it's not just black and white movies. It's like I've actually. I remember a quote that came out of my mouth earlier this year was, have you seen anything before 1985? <laughs> I remember very clearly those words leaving my mouth, you know, and because it's like, uh, you, you know, and I don't watch older movies, something like that. I mean, I, I tend to find that to be honestly uh, more something that a girl would say uh, for whatever reason. Oh, I don't know man. why. Yeah, I, I do. I, and I, I don't like that, but like black and white, like, man, I remember watching black and white stuff when I was a kid, like whether it was uh, Three Stooges, Laurel and Hardy, It's a Wonderful Life, like or old Hitchcock movies. I, I get, you didn't even think of it. You didn't even think about it. But if someone sees a black and white movie, they just go, oh, I just can't watch it. And I'm like, you are aware that there are still black and white movies that get released. <laughs> I, this wasn't just something <laughs> that, that just died. I, you know, you know who the friend of your guy is, is, is the, uh, foreign movies guy who likes to oh, drop these gems, no. you know, especially Mr. French new wave who likes to drop. Oh, I've <laughs> seen, I've seen the 400 blows. Have you, <laughs> have you, have you seen El Postino? 
<laughs> and it really is like just because as a foreign title, man, I'm I'm Il Postino notwithstanding, you know, it may not be that good. And I, but I'm gonna go out on a limb. I don't know if you've really seen it. Exactly. I just don't. You can't I, prove I, it. Exactly. <laughs> I just can't prove I just it. doubt some of these people because this the 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 final one I was gonna bring up was. Uh, a guy who got the guy you can figure out hasn't seen the movie, but he's trying to keep up in the conversation. So, oh, that's when you lie. Yes, that's when you go, and that's when Owen Wilson comes in. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, dude, you're talking about Rocky Four. There are a couple tells. There are a couple tells when you can figure out if somebody hasn't seen it. Because you and I talked about this. If you've ever lied and said you've seen a movie when you really haven't, and I think we all have. That's okay. I have. You know, it's, it's but I only do it when I don't want to be embarrassed. Because right. a lot of people know me as the film buff guy. And, and then you have to say something like, I told my mom the other night, Mom, I've never seen White Christmas. And I have to and I have to get that look on the face. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I should have just lied. Hey, and you go to her like, hey, Patty, you seen Black Christmas? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it's on the docket for tonight. <laughs> well, I mean, well, no. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she listens to this, so I hope she doesn't see Black Christmas. She wants to. She wants, she wants to, to see Black Christmas? Christmas? No, no. She keeps threatening oh. to listen to, to listen to this, and I'm like, ah, jeez, I don't know. Uh, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of anti-Semitism on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Uh, so, so, and that'll be what gets me in trouble. That is a joke. That is just a joke. Well, so, um, so it's. The only time I've broken it, I, the times when I like I will freely admit it is when I can tell like there's going to be a big in-depth discussion. I'm just like I, I have to tap out. I'm sorry. I haven't seen it, so I can't really engage in this. So I'll listen to you, blah blah blah. But dude, it's it's some of these guys who are like it's, it's all right. This is how it usually sets up. Let's suppose you and I are talking like on the back porch back in college with cigarettes, beer. We're oh, this talking. is a real life occurrence. This well, just, probably happened. Yes. <laughs> So we're out there, we can be talking, and then all of a sudden here comes this jabroni who just, shuff, <laughs> who just shuffles his little feet up. I've got two faces already, I'm a, that are already in my head. <laughs> and <laughs> keep going. And, and first, like, he's just kind of looking at both of us, or both of you, whoever, like, you know, if you want to put yourself into this too out there. You know, and, and, and you're going back and forth, you're getting into it real good, talking about this movie, and then this guy kind of chimes in. It's just He says just some kind of generalisms about it. And then, like, he just he slowly tries to kind of weasel into the conversation more and more. And then, you know, by the end of it, he's just talking about, like, oh, he's just completely agreeing with all these points. This is when you have to pause and think, okay, I don't think he said anything specific about the movie himself. Let's, you know, let's have a little fun here. And I did this once. I was talking about L.A. Confidential with somebody, and this little, this little weasel of a man comes up, and he starts... He starts he starts chiming in about it and he, and I you know I start to see the things like oh yeah 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 I've uh, um, uh, yeah I've seen oh yeah it's it's a good movie good movie but like no like like specifics and then this ties into of course one of the other tells is oh I've, it's just been a while since I've seen it uh, so you know oh uh, I love that one but um I remember huh. I remember he was um, he just kind of kept on with these generalisms and these general these just kind of general agreements with what we were saying and finally I was like. Yeah, I mean, I love that bit in L.A. Confidential when Walken just comes in and just blows everybody away. And he sat there and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I love that scene. And I just, I just sat there like, uh, he's not in it. Not in it at all. No Christopher Walken in there. Maybe you saw Last Man Standing. He probably didn't either. <laughs> money, money. And I, it's, the, now, I, it's not the, 
this guy, I don't mind. It doesn't bother me necessarily. No, because he's probably just trying to fit in. Yeah. Trying to, trying to find somebody to talk to. <laughs> but So they're fairly I benign. I, I would take that person all day long compared to these other jokers from the stable that we were talking about. Yeah, I... Uh... I don't watch I don't watch older movies is really something because uh, the way that I look at it now older movies for me now especially when I go back and I watch movies that came out at a certain point uh, it basically before the internet age and this is where I think it's going to get complicated where you're going to have a bunch of these um, kids I mean they're not even kids now they're in their 20s but kids who are always around uh, the internet you know like the internet for us came in it's like right in our adolescence. I, like we have very fleeting memories of life before the internet, but you know if these if these they go back and they see these movies that that don't you know have you know cell phones or or GPSs or people talking about Twitter or Facebook and these movies all the time, which by the I don't know how that is for you, but that's a real big turnoff for me <laughs> in any movie. I was like, did you check your Facebook status? Yeah, and just like oh god, but um, I, I find that interesting. You know, I don't watch I don't watch older movies, but. Well, do you watch movies that also come out that take place in a different time period? <laughs> you know, because I'll tell you, man, uh, uh, Dazed and Confused didn't really come out in the 70s, and it really seems like it did. Yeah. It yeah. really does. Like, yeah. it's weird. Or uh, or Freaks and Geeks, you know, like the, the, that coming out in 99, and that that they got that the tone of that thing so good. But it's just I don't under, I just don't understand it. It's basically anyone who's closed minded. I mean, you can also throw in people who don't watch stuff like uh, like certain genres. Like I don't watch horror movies. This is a this is a real life conversation I have with someone. I don't watch horror movies. Why not? Because nothing scares me. Oh well, you know what? Oh, Fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's really interesting. I'm pretty life sure must, if you life must it, be a breeze for you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if this guy opens his like pantry and a great white shark just pops out, he's not going to be like uh eh. Whatever. Uh, there's the GIF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or uh, like um, I, I don't I don't know. I I used to get into these with um, Gilstrap sometimes because you know, he would never watch romantic comedies. <laughs> and and you know it's it's like Kyle like there are so many good ones. I mean yeah most of them are bad but there are a lot of good ones. He's like eh, it just doesn't do anything for me. I'm like is this a guy thing? Like is this a, is this it's just like a man thing to, to not like to see a movie where that's just about like two people like just hooking up. <laughs> I don't, I, I really don't understand it because like whenever we're not talking about movies, that's what we are talking about. <laughs> and, 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 and you're not interested in doing or, or seeing a movie that's about that. I, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a whole thing. Basically everyone annoys me. Well, it's, I, it's, it's what I'm the reason at. I thought about this is like, you know, I, I enjoy movie discussions where people are impassioned about opinions and they can back them up. They can, they it can incorporate into how it makes them feel, how it makes them think, all that stuff. Like that's the stuff that's really fun to interact with people about movies. But when people come with all this damn pretense, I just want to just kick them through the window, man. It's just I'm, I'm done. I know it's, I'm, I, it's like everyone. It, it's really weird how. People can can look at it and react to it. It seems like, and and we're no experts, but we. I mean, I guess we like to. We sound like we are, or we like to think that we are. And for some reason, when it comes to movies, everyone thinks that they're an expert. Kind of like, uh, kind of like people that, that sit on the couch all day and watch football. <laughs> right. You know. 
Like, like they, they absolutely know what's best. Oh, well, you know what they should have done was, yeah, yeah, that's great, Uncle Brad. But, is that uh, why you're getting paid $40 million by San Diego? Huh? Yeah, I, was, I was like, you don't, don't know what's going <laughs> no, on. They, yeah. Like, you, you don't have a clue. Right. Yeah, like, that always makes me laugh. But, um, yeah, that's, I'm sure I could think of more, but that's, th- th- those are the top ones for But me. this is good. Out there, if you have uh, the worst uh, movie debate guy, movie conversation guy you can think of, Tweet it to us. Tweet the archetype. Who have you run into that you're just like, damn it, this is the worst. This is the absolute worst. And you, and there's all these things that go through your head like, man, I just want to rip this guy's head off. I just want to leave. I just want to. I just want to jump out the window and hang myself, or you know, whatever. <laughs> I wonder what would happen. <laughs> I know if I just jumped out that window. <laughs> <laughs> tweet what it would anybody do? Tweet it to us at Real Change Pod. And uh, and let's share like the the movie debate guys that we just can't stand encountering. Um, we're gonna be coming right back. We're gonna take a pause now and uh, take it over to a conversation I had with a filmmaker. His name's Ed Charette. He's got a movie coming out. Here's our conversation about it. All right, guys. It was probably like what I think it was like 11 years ago in August that I went to Regal Entertainment University, which sounds silly to say now, but at the time it was okay. We're gonna get a bunch of managers. We're gonna send them to Knoxville, Tennessee, to uh, to hang out for a week with a bunch of strangers, and hopefully they pick up on how to integrate the Regal quote unquote philosophy into being a manager. Well, it you know. It is what it is, but one of the, the, the best parts about it is that when you, you can have the ability to connect with people that have a like, you know, a like mind, so to speak. And that's where I have uh, Edward Charette on the line. Ed is somebody I met back in, in 06, who um, I, I was just, it was just a great time to meet because he, he, um, he loved film as much as I did and he wanted to make film. That was what was more important. It's, it's one thing when people like it, it's one people, it's another though when people want to get out and, uh, and make a film. And he has. He has made a full-length uh, feature that he's going to be showing on December 9th. Is that right, Ed? December 9th? Yes, sir. In December New York 9th. City. So let's dig into it, man. So, um, golly, I still can't believe it's been 11 years since then and how much things have changed where we were, we were hustling as managers <laughs> in a movie theater. Yeah. Now you get to show one in a movie theater, and that's awesome, so to speak. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about this movie, man. Like, what? Uh, first of all, just title of it. Oh, first draft. First draft. Now, in your own words, kind of, I guess this is the. I don't want to say it's the thirty-second elevator version, but well, just tell us a little bit about what what is first draft about. Uh, it's about an aspiring writer who comes across a little bit of writer's block, and he's trying to just deal with it the best way he can. And meanwhile, living his life, I mean, he works at a convenience store or two. And uh, just plugging in the way, trying to cope with different ways. And he goes to a friend of his for some advice. And they try a bunch of different things. And uh, I don't want to say wackiness ensues because it's a comedy drama. But uh, and then just shit happens. And it's really my love of writing because, you know, that was the other part. I, you know, wrote a book or two. And what came out of that and, and, and just kind of, you know, meshing the two together, you know. Um, uh I don't know. I'm not really good at the explaining too much of it because I, you know, like how trailers give away too much. I had a tough time cutting the trailer together. The trailer was like, awesome. how much do I a, want to show? You know, like, it, it's a really good trailer, and I'm not just saying right. that um, because I, I, 
film trailers done like on the amateur end uh, are really either awesome or they're terrible. It there really isn't a lot of middle ground because I, as much as like we've seen trailers, like there really is an art to them to really sell something. And I liked yours because I like to listen to I like to watch trailers without sound, I, yeah. I, because. Um, I always feel like if it can sell me just uh, in visual images what it's about, then I then I know it's a good movie, and right. that's the thing that was so. What I loved was like it was it really like when you were saying it's a blend of comedy and drama, like that is a hundred percent sold in that trailer, okay. and I think that's what's really interesting about it is like it it is this comedic journey of sorts. I know it's not a hundred percent comedic in, in the journey, right. but. That there is like this this kind of picaresque Tom Jones like journey for this guy to finish this, and of course, and I mean, I know, I know a lot of your inspiration comes from from Kevin Smith movies, from Clerks. I mean, and that's fine. Right. What I like though is you didn't just do people talking about movies while they work somewhere. It's somebody who's actually trying to go out and do it. Right. So, right. um, uh. Where's the genesis of this thing come from, man? Is it just really just from your own experience? Where's this? Yeah, come I mean, from? it's well, it, the original idea, which has morphed a million times since then, but the 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 frame is there. It was in a writing class, Gotham Writers Workshop. I took sitcom writing of all things, back in ninety something, and um, wasn't really a fan of the class. But one of the things that like we were, the teacher was talking about the seven stage story structure and all that kind of stuff, and I think. Would it be cool to do a movie about a writer and then, like, you could use the, like, within the thing, use the structure, like, almost like chapter headings like Smith does or Tarantino and explain a little bit of the structure, just like the seven stages as people are going through it. That was the idea originally way back then, and it didn't, it ended up morphing over time. One of the big reasons it morphed is I'm in the movie because the other part is the Kevin Smith, Rodriguez kind of do-it-yourself, go-forward kind of thing. When I had an actor drop out because he had an anxiety attack leading up to it, I was like, dude, I, I can I can rely on me. I know my schedule, you know? So I ended up taking that role. So it had to morph a little bit with me in the role as opposed to the other guy. Um, but in terms of the actual genesis of it, it was, it, it was that idea then. And then I ended up writing a book or two. <laughs> and as that happened, like, my love of writing was um, – I, it's something I hadn't expected. And one of the things I learned in the journey of being a writer is it's a very lonely process. Uh, so that was something that I wanted to get in this as well. The awkwardness, loneliness, the uh, whatever you alienation that comes with writing. Um, I wanted to throw that in some, but still make it cinematic in some way, hopefully. Um, hopefully it's entertaining. I really don't know. <laughs> Now, <laughs> yeah. the, the thing that's neat though about you playing the part is that there's a little there's there's that there's that truthfulness to it you know like the thing is like yeah. a lot of times like when somebody plays a writer in a movie you kind of look and like i don't know if i buy it you know i just <laughs> don't know because writers by nature they're weird quirky people and like if i don't and and sometimes when you watch a movie where somebody is just playing a writer and they're not really a writer it doesn't come across as like i believe them and that's the thing that's i think i think you probably lucked out by <laughs> yeah. with that circumstance so yeah the, the thing is though like i i've known plenty of people you've known plenty of people they're like i got an idea for a movie everyone's got ideas for movies but it's that next step or two or a dozen down the road to completion that 
really are the, the critical steps that most people just fold after maybe one or two because they realize it's not as easy as just taking your phone out there and hitting record. It's not. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. so much more to making a movie. So to walk me through, okay, you've got this thing written. You're, you're going to go forward with making it. This has been years in the making for you. So walk us About through because years, yeah. I, I'm hoping that people who listen to this, who have an idea for a movie, kind of get the idea of like there are many routes to getting a movie made. What was your route to getting this made? Um, well, you know, we had, st well, okay. I had another movie before this that I was trying to get made. I did a short film for it to try to get funding for it. And that was a second in a line. Like I just, it was like three movies or two different movies that we were almost going to make and ended up falling apart. Um, and it was after the second one, it was like, Jesus, one of them was like, I needed 50 grand. There's no way I could do it for less than 50 grand. So I was like, screw that one. The other one was like, I had people like a cast of 25 people. And we were in rehearsal stages and we were read throughs, you know, and um, it just ended up being so much of a hassle trying to coordinate everybody's schedules. And then too many cooks spoiling the broth, kind of, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And eventually after I lost it, I was like, OK, got to cut the middle, you know. So I ended up just using a T2I. You know, I know enough about lenses. I ended up working on a couple of films as a uh, assistant DP and Oh, assistant camera and learning how to actually use the goddamn camera and, and buying I all my lenses are like bought uh, used lenses usually Nikon's I have a Canon but I get a, an adapter to kind of you know switch them off and you know just to learn hands-on on other people's film sets even just how to shoot the damn thing so I shot it and I learned I ran sound and edited I do the whole whole spiel um, so when it's time to start shooting it was like okay well then just I don't even need people on certain shots I could just start you know, <laughs> and just keep yeah. going. And as I'm going, certain things happen. Like when we started shooting five years ago, I was um, 75 pounds lighter. All right. And I had started shooting the movie, like 20 minutes of the movie was done. And then winter came. And I, as a writer, and as always, I stuffed my face with everything in the planet. Um, so I put on some weight. So I was like, okay, I got to just start adapting that into the story. You know what I mean? So like the Rodriguez mentality of work with what you have. That's basically what I did is work with what I had. I had to get a second uh, a second job and then a third job at one point. So I asked my employers if I could use their store to shoot scenes here and shoot, you know, and I just started going and people that I met that were really interesting and say, hey, would you mind playing this part? And sometimes I curtailed the part to be more toward their personalities um, and just went that way. And uh, it really just using what I had to get a <laughs> beginning, middle and end that hopefully fits to the original idea of the story. Hopefully by the end, people feel a little inspired or or whatever. Uh, to, to I think writers will like the movie a lot, uh, creative people. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. No, but but it was, let me ask you this. Did you actually get jobs at places just so you could use it as a location? Uh, no. Oh, no, that would have been awesome. That would have been, <laughs> been such awesome. a brilliant plan. But uh, I had to uh, – well, yeah, no, no, I didn't. Um I mean, and a lot of the stuff we, everything, lights were all built at Home Depot, you know. I mean, some of them were just clamp lights that we spray painted like appliance white on the inside to give it that glow, and had a bunch of gel, you know, just picking up stuff as we went. We built dollies on uh, out of PVC pipes and or skater track or whatever. So we just <clears throat> everything was very DIY, hands-on. Try to, and we it took so long because it's like with no money. When's everybody off? I need, I definitely need a camera guy this day. I need a dolly guy for this scene. When can everybody get together? You know, my, my one producer guy lives in Pennsylvania and I'm, I'm up in New York. So it's like he has to travel and, you know, request time off work to get here. And then it's like when he gets here, 
what's the weather like? Mm, let's figure it out. It's just a matter of patience and trying to get to something at the end of the day. <laughs> you I, know, like five years, man. I mean, I remember because I would see you post the, uh, you know, on 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 Facebook, like that you, you have a scene here and there. How do you stay? Because man, so many people when they encounter, like if it gets to be a process, it's not going to be an. It, equate to instant gratification like they're done they're, they're checking out how do you stay focused on 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 getting it done um you know honestly when sh- sh- stuff started going bad in my life we had a lot of personal tragedies and things like that sometimes the only thing that got me out of the funk was forcing myself to get or, or knowing that i had that there you know it's one of the things that taught me about the book about the book, writing uh, the first book, actually, and then the second was because uh, you, you're not relying on anybody. It's just you. It's you and the blank page. And at some point, that planting your ass and sitting down and writing, don't wait for the inspiration to come. Plant your ass and sit down and write, and eventually the inspiration will come. So it got to be almost like a, try to just discipline yourself to do that. It didn't happen all the time. It didn't happen every day. But it was like after a while, it starts to set in where like it's been like three days. And if a week goes by and I haven't done anything, you start kicking your own ass. Um, I did shoot two other short films at that time. I still haven't put them out there because it was like I have nobody available for like a month and a half and whatever. So let's do something else to at least get our chops going. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just trying to – at some point it's like, well, maybe <clears throat> at least at the end of the day you have this movie done. You know, just too many movies yeah. fell apart and didn't happen. And it's like I'm tired of that. Just tired of it. You know, <laughs> so it's like – got to get to the end and that's what the books taught me you're like nothing like getting to the end of that first draft and you're like ooh all right cool now let's see what the world thinks about it you know what i mean but you know so just staying vigilant and just keeping going one page after the other one word after another and then one scene after another reshooting to the last minute i was reshooting last night too wow that's awesome <laughs> an insert shot cuz i needed my i'm doing my color grading and i was like wait a minute that looks a little off so let me just throw a little bit more in there i'll be i'll be going right to the very last minute cuz but at least i have a deadline um, you know, that's so, yeah, like, you know, the, the fun thing in the process is like everyone's got a different favorite part of the process. Some people love, they love the writing stage. That's their favorite part of it. It's just that initial thought of it. Some people love the shooting stage. They cannot wait to see it through a lens, see it through a monitor. What does it look like? All that. And then the, there's another part. It's like, oh, I love working with actors. That's my favorite thing is to be able to work with them to bring it off the page and then finally there's the group that loves the editing process because it's like wow there it is in front of me so which one or which or, or maybe it's multiple which one or ones have been your favorite part of the process well writing is always like a thing for me like there's some joy of just coming up with a thing and writing it there's something different that's more rewarding than anything else um, but like I said, with writing the two books, it made me realize it is a lonely process. There is a really cool collaboration with actors and any crew. So directing is really one of my favorite things. Being on a film set, there's really nothing like it. Even if there's only three of us there and we're eating pizza for the day, there's really nothing quite like it, trying to get that vision across. So that's like, I mean, writing and directing, but right now it's like, with a little bit of budget, it might be nicer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, editing, I enjoy, but right now I'm at that point where it's like, I'd rather have somebody edit me going to make the calls. You know what I mean? Right. Somebody else get the ref- the assembly together. But it, there is magic in there too. There are certain things that happen that, that on this movie in particular where it was like I had gotten license from a song from somebody. I was like, well, let me try it here. And I just literally dropped it on and just didn't even line it up. I just dropped it on and then I play hit play 
And I was like, oh, oh. And it like re- <laughs> reinvigorated me into like, oh, right, I'm on the right track. You know what I mean? That's the best. Um, I so, love that moment. It's you're right. Yeah, you just great. nailed like some because then like you're like I, I don't even want to touch it. Like that's where it needs to be. In the <laughs> right, movie right, right. Because it's perfect. But you got to kill your kill your babies, kill your babies, kill your babies. That's right. what Smith says. So yeah, you know, like I always try to make it as tight as possible. But but yeah, I mean, so writing is is really the the uh, the mojuice. That's the one that I really get a, a kick out of the most. I think, but. The actual directing and working with crew and being on a set, like being being able to do that, I would like more money, <laughs> right? <laughs> more time to work with actors, because I like the rehearsal process. I like working it out with people. I'm very vigilant with my writing, like it has to be this way, but only if, like, I would rather have it improv. I would want you to come up with your own stuff. I can't stand when an actor is just saying shit because they don't remember their lines. Right. But I want to hear it come out. And then it's like, well, that's no good. Let's rewrite it. You know what I mean? Like, I want to hear it the first. Like, I like being in the rehearsal process. So directing is really awesome. Um, so writing and directing are, I don't know, two equally and awesome things. No, it's cool because, like, I mean, it, what's what's interesting is so many, like, we, we've heard over the years, so many of, like, our favorite directors, like, they, they, they don't like, they, they, they're not big on working with the actors. Like, they, they can shoot it. It looks beautiful. They have as minimal engagement with actors as possible, and then sometimes you hear the reverse. There's some directors that they don't, they don't know lenses, they don't know anything has to do with camera, but they know, yeah, know. what they want from an actor. They know how to communicate it, and they know how to get right. it. So, it, it's interesting. Like everyone, definitely has a different process. So, I, I'll tell you, man. The for me, it was always editing. I and the thing was like, it's after that first cut, and you just kind of get up and walk away because it's like, wow, that's like it's kind of emotional because like you've gone through all this time and there there's that first draft and your first draft technically no pun intended here it's your first you know cut of the movie and you know that i'm gonna have to come back and chop this thing up but i just kind of want to enjoy this moment of it's done for a moment it's done (laughs) you know but um so when you finish this how how do you move to the point of okay how am i going to show this to people where am i going to show this to people how does the grammar seat come into this that was I got, I mean, you're same generation as me. I'm a big fan of, I listen to all the pot, like interviews of Rodriguez and Kevin Smith, the people that I, my generation, you know, yeah. the 90s independent films. And one of the things that I had listened to some uh, Rodriguez thing where he, he said, like, you know, if you just put your foot forward, it was a new speech by him back a couple of years ago. And like, just put your, your thing out there. Eventually the forces, cosmic forces come to your aid. You know, I was like, oh, okay, you know, so, and now like, there's something to that because it did, it, it has happened before. Like, oh, wait, you're putting on a movie and all of a sudden there are people there and wait a minute, what the f- stuff's happening, you know? Yeah. So it was like, we're coming to a close. I couldn't let another year go by. Like once winter comes, it's like, not going to wait till next year. So it was like, I'm buckling down, getting stuff done. And then it was like, I, cause I work at different, um, venues in the area now as a lighting director. I do lighting at Gramercy Theater, Irving, Hammerstein Ballroom, different area, different places in the city. I do stagehand work, whatever. So I had an in there that I could say, hey, I'm looking to do this thing. And then it was like I tied in the idea of people in the soundtrack playing a show before the movie, make it like a big event, get a whole bunch of people to come and have a good time. So it was the idea was throw it out, set a date, gives me a deadline. Deadlines are important. Without a deadline, you could be squandering away for years right <laughs> yeah, definitely. it gives me that crunch time and it always brings the best out of me right you know risers fail you just hit <laughs> you know right so having the deadline is a really good thing and then 
you know, getting then I got started getting excited about the idea of this show, having a concert, you know, two sh- two bands, a movie, and then a band, and then downstairs they're gonna do a photo gallery, which is basically just my photos of the stuff that I haven't put online or anything. It's just like this abstract the idea of telling a story with one image that I fell in love with. Being a filmmaker with the DSLR, you know, you're learning to take photos because you got to get better with the camera. And then in the process, it was like, well, how do I tell an image with one? I tell a story with one image, and I would try this weird shit. So like, then I'll put that downstairs in the lounge and have some music down there. So then coming up with the whole event itself, realizing that filmmaking is so different now. Independent film, it's hard to get sold anywhere. People want to stay home and watch Netflix or whatever. So it's like maybe this way will get people to have an experience when they go out. They get to go to a movie, see a concert, have some drinks, have some laughs. You know, come out to the coast, you get together, have a few laughs. And, um, you know, it, it just seemed like it just kind of all fell into place. So, I don't know. And it's just given me that deadline, and now it's just like, cool, I'm just tinkering now. I mean, I could hand it, I could be done with it. Like, But, you know, I want to be, not you know me, I just want to be, I want it to be as good as possible. And that's the other part of it for the last five years, when you say, like, part of the process is always stopping and reshooting. Like, right. that's taking us longer, because I want to make it right. I don't want to, like fumble around in, in, in no man's land, but I do want to make sure it's the best I can make it. The biggest problem with me being in front of the camera is some days I'm the most experienced guy on set and I'm the, I'm the DP. How did the guy behind the camera know if I'm lit well or, you know? Right. So it's like the act, the other actor will be gorgeous and like their shot is amazing. And then I'm looking at the dailies and I'm like, wow, why am I not lit right? Because well, I was busy like, oh, I have to remember my lines now. Right. I have to say a thing, you know? <laughs> so I had to go back and reshoot. It took time. So, and now I'm just color grading and doing what I got to do to just make it tight as possible. But um, I think I went off on a tangent there. But uh, no, no, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Tell people how though, because I don't want people to be fooled. You don't have to be in New York to see this movie on December 9th. Oh yeah, no, absolutely not. I, I made it available. So basically, you could uh, we're live streaming the concert and then giving it. Well, basically, if you get it, if you buy a ticket LiveNation.com. You can go to FirstDraftMovie.com and they'll give you instructions. You can basically uh, you buy a ticket. Basically, it helps us with ticket sales, and then you'll get a live stream for the concert for the whole night of all the music and all that stuff, as well as later on, uh, two weeks later, you'll get some behind the scenes and backstage stuff from there. And then you also get a digital download of the film, basically when we start, like five minutes before we start the movie there at the theater. So if you're so inclined, you can pretty much watch it in real time with us. Um, so yeah, firstdraftmovie.com to live stream and get the digital download. Uh, and it'll get you the link if you want to if you want to show up and just show up at livenation.com um, to uh, to come see and enjoy the show. Excellent, man. So yes. last question: What's after this? What's the next stage for this film? Uh, gonna submit to whatever festivals will accept me now. Okay. Because having a public viewing uh, eliminates you from half the festivals out there. I knew that going in, okay. but it's like. Am I really going to get into Sundance? How much money am I going to waste submitting the film when I could sit here, get a real reaction from my crowd, and try to make a little bit of cash back on what we lost? You know, right. I got to try to control it as I can. Uh, so I'm going to submit to festivals and see who takes me. And then meanwhile, take off for about two months, watch some shit, get caught up on every show I've missed in the last five years. I don't watch movies or I try to keep it to a minimum. Right. Um, and then starting pre-production on the next movie. <laughs> That's awesome, so, man. Well. Yeah. It, the mo- it is called First Draft. You can get yes, to, you can go to firstdraftmovie.com. Is that right? Yes, sir. And then you can get your tickets to see it at the Gramercy December 9th. He is Ed Charette. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, dude. 
All right, so we're back now. We said it in the, at the opening. Um, I have no idea, or I have a rough idea, I should say. It's very, I, no, it's not very clear at all. I don't know where Charles is going to go with this. This is segment four. This is kind of the space that we always allocate for either Charlie's rant or something to that effect. I get a text that says, I've seen Wonder Woman. All right, take it away, Charles. <laughs> so, uh, so in the midst of not wanting to put that Christmas tree up today, I, I was sitting around and I thought, uh, I have, I've, got, I've got Wonder Woman. I was like, I have not seen this yet. And everyone keeps telling me how good it is and you know, whatever that means. Because you know, I, I hear that all the time with superhero movies and I'm usually left just meh. But, you know, to my, and I knew I would probably end up talking about this. But I honestly didn't think I'd be talking about it in the way that I'm, that I'm starting off with here. Because I actually did like the movie. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty solid. It's got a, it's an interesting story. I think, well, I think the reason what I think what I want to focus on more than anything is the overreaction to how uh, wonderful this movie is and, and how this is like a game changer. I remember like hearing that sometimes when the movie, when the movie first came out and like, this was going to write the ship and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, like at the end of the day, it's a really well done Marvel movie. Like, like it's it seems like it it has much more of a Marvel type tone to it, and what makes the movie work for me is Gal Gadot and Chris Pine, mainly Chris Pine. And this is where I think is so funny is that everyone is just like so happy to have uh, a good Wonder Woman movie, and Gal Gadot does so well in it, and it's a, it's great for feminism, and it shows like woman power, and yes, that's great, but I'm sorry to say, Chris Pine stole the movie. <laughs> And and I hate I hate saying that, but he gives the best performance in the flick. Not to uh, you know undersell Gal Gadot, she because she's excellent. I can't think of anyone else who could play this part. But it's not to say that um, that there isn't a f- few flaws with it. Like I've I, I compl- I've complained about these movies before, but I, I just cannot stress this enough. Why does almost every single one of these movies have to end in a world-ending type scenario? Because I tell you, every single one of these villains that tries to end the world. Even a god of war himself cannot do it. And it's just, it's Ares. It's like, whoa, whoa, this, this is certainly going to be it. <laughs> I didn't realize this was going to be the last film in the franchise. And no, no, he sucks just like the rest of them. And he ends up getting this, this costume that just looks ridiculous. It was like a cross between a 1980s heavy metal album cover and... Obadiah Stane from Iron Man. I mean, it's just like, why does Ares, uh, the god of war, need a suit or <laughs> that has horns on it? It just looks goofy, and, and it, it totally undermines the movie. And, and but you know, everything that came before, for the most part, is really good. Like, there's a lot of great solid uh, supporting performances. I really like the team that they have. It's kind of they kind of do what I think Rogue One couldn't do, which is make characters interesting uh, that you could care for and hope wouldn't die. But what I just cannot get over is the is basically what the overreaction to the movie was, because I think people are, especially nowadays in the current culture and current climate, they're so eager to have strong female characters that basically, um, but honestly, it's it's where they. It's this scenario where they don't need a man. Like I've, I've noticed this before too. Like uh, Ghostbusters, I could not divorce myself from the two movies uh, at one time, where Ghostbusters got a, a great reaction on Rotten Tomatoes, and it had like a seventy-four, I want to say, 
And I absolutely thought those reviews were, for the most part, were bought. Or they didn't want to admit that they didn't like the movie because that would have fed into all that hype and hate train that that movie had that Ghostbusters can't be women, which couldn't be further from the truth. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that the movie sucked. And I thought Wonder Woman was getting the same treatment, only it's in the 90s on Rotten Tomatoes. And, you know, once again, I think that's way too high, but it is it is a good movie. And it's I don't really know just exactly what what people saw in the movie really that I didn't, because honestly, if it isn't if it isn't for the Chris Pine character, Wonder Woman doesn't get anything done. Like she doesn't know where to go. She doesn't even really know who she is. Because uh, that's revealed later on. They don't even say the words Wonder Woman in the movie, but without Chris Pine leading the way, it's 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 kind of it's weird. It's kind of like uh, th- that old uh, Hollywood trope that we used to talk about the 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 the, the white savior yes. character. You know, we t- whether it's Dances with Wolves or Avatar, it's kind of the same thing. Where it's like let's show um, an an undertreated you know type of person whether it's a culture or it's or it's a woman or something like that and let's give them a chance to have their own movie and be successful and and have a good role model for kids and that is great like that is really great uh blindside blindside did this too and who won the oscar i mean the white woman kevin costner got all the praise for dances with wolves like it's great to have this idea you know to show these these under not underprivileged but these people that don't have the same opportunities as white people and to, to have their own moment and what ends up being the thing that helps them get there. It's, it's a, it's a white person. It's a white man. And that's, that's what basically happens in wonder woman. And I was just kind of, I was just kind of floored. And I don't know if the movie was, was just promising something that it wasn't, or if people just read into it wrong, you know, and, and, and they kind of see a movie that they want to see, you know, yes. Yes. you know what I mean? Yes. It, it's, it's weird because it is a good movie, but it's not for the reasons that everyone's saying that it is. And because the relationship, it, it, do you remember Force Awakens? For, I, I couldn't help but think of Force Awakens w- during certain scenes in Wonder Woman. Like whenever there's danger happening, uh, when, when Chris Pine and Gal Gadot first meet, the first thing Chris Pine does is he grabs her hand and they run together. But she doesn't do what Ray did in Force Awakens, where she goes, stop holding my hand, or, or why did you grab my hand? She doesn't do anything like that. Wonder Woman actually holds on to his hand as they run. And it, it just it just looks so strange. <laughs> because she actually ended up, she that's how they meet, she saves him. And then all of a sudden, I'm the man, I know what I'm doing. And just takes her by the hand and guides her to where she needs to go. So... It's not really, I guess this isn't really like a rant. I know I've done angrier ones before, but I, I just I just can't help myself in, in thinking about how feminism works in movies today. And I think I think people are right. Like I, de- I definitely think it's the best DC movie of this uh, universe that we've got, that we've seen yet. And I think a lot of people like to use that as a bragging point, that, that Wonder Woman's the only one that really had a good movie. And it's, about, and it's a woman. And... I mean, that ties into a whole nother thing, but I don't know if I'm ready to divulge an opinion on, but, um, that's, that's basically it. Yeah. I I think a lot of times, and, um, this, this is speaking to a point, a greater point than just Wonder Woman is that there's some movies that I think collectively everybody just wants to be something bigger than sometimes it might actually be, you know, like, uh, I, I've, I've heard by and large, like people have said, yeah, it's a good movie, but like. I don't think people, and I hear them say that when they they have this way of saying it's a yeah it's a good movie, 
but man, they, it's it's it's. I, I can tell it's hard for them to really say like it's a great movie, but mm-hmm. but it's it's almost like we're, we're we're pushed and conditioned into like no, this has got to be a great movie. It's like well, it doesn't. It has have, to be. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be. You know, that's the problem. It's just like it is what it is, and just move on from it. Like it's it's fine. Like I mean, it's. No problem admitting, man. If it's better than Man of Steel, because I haven't I haven't seen Wonder Woman, so I can't speak for it. But if it's that that's been the one that I've really enjoyed thus far. But I'm but if it's better better than that, then it's better than that. Fine, but it doesn't have to mean like oh like the thing I'm worried about is when it comes time for the Oscars and this somehow gets left out and that there's this backlash about it and it's like okay. you're talking about Dark Knight. Well, to, well, in, in in this context of Wonder Woman, because I want to be like okay, oh, I know, but yeah, it's the same thing yeah. then. I get that. It was like, I mean, huh, I didn't think we were going to do this, but sure. So Dark Knight. I think that movie's hype got built for about, I want to say, six or seven months. Because Heath, Heath died in January, right? Right. All of a sudden, everyone was about Batman. And it was really kind of weird, even before the movie came out, because you know, I'd gone to see Batman Begins, and I really liked it. I loved it. A lot of people... People don't remember this. A lot of people didn't see Batman Begins. And they weren't even sure what it was. I remember hearing that, that a lot of people thought it was a continuation of the Schumacher movies. Right. And it was like, how could you misconstrue that? And it was because, you know, back then, reboots weren't really a thing. I think Batman Begins might have been the first real reboot, and then Casino Royale just took it to a whole other level. I think that's the way that it was. And when Dark Knight was coming out, all of a sudden, everybody wanted to see it. Everybody had to see it. And I, I don't think and a lot of people love Heath Ledger. I kind of underestimated that. Me personally, I thought he had like three or four good movies and then a bunch of crap because he did. He really did. I mean, you know, Four Feathers or The Order. Like, remember those movies? Oh, like those, yeah. are, those are bad. Yeah. You know, but, you know, he did The Patriot, Ten Things I Hate About You. Like, like the, the, he did have movies, Brokeback Mountain, which I still think is the best thing he ever did. I don't there was this stigma around that character, though, of the Joker. And I and, and you know, a lot of people were saying that the character is what killed him, and you immediately went, "That's bull, that's crap." You know, it's just there's just no way. And of course, that turned out not to be true. But I think a lot of people didn't want to to believe that he died making a movie that was mediocre. And I, I think that fed into it quite a bit. Not to say that the movie's mediocre, mediocre. I think the movie's better than mediocre. But my God. I mean, to be there when that movie came out and just the outpouring of love and, and adoration that everyone gave it. And I still say that it's because of that movie that the, the Oscar nominations for Best Picture got bumped up again back to uh, 9 or 10 because that wasn't the way it was at that point, not since like the 40s. Yeah. And I think pe- – yeah, so I think basically I think, I think people just wa- – they saw the movie in a completely different way. I would love an alternate universe where Heath didn't die and that movie just came out. And we got to see, like, w- what people really thought of the movie. You know, because, yes, his performance is great. But you know who else had a great performance in a mediocre movie? The original Pirates of the Caribbean with Johnny Depp. That's a great performance in a very mediocre you know, mainstream movie. And that's kind of the way I looked at Dark Knight. Because everyone else in that movie is boring. I <laughs> think to a T. Yeah, yeah, and then there's dark, you know. So it, it all it all depends. It all depends. Yeah, I it's it. it that's why I did the the thing I was waiting on after Wonder Woman came out. I was like, okay, what's going to happen to her in Justice League? And of course, no surprise. Like, 
it, it's it, there were people were showing screenshots comparing how how like the Amazonians looked in both movies and it just is like yeah they it looks it, different it does well well you know I, I've heard this and you know Patty Jenkins you know, she directed Wonder Woman I'm not kidding man like the action scenes in the movie are honestly the worst part of the movie I don't care I just do not care because you know, I, I've said this to you before anytime I see CGI action I immediately get taken out of the movie I'm like looks fake like it really does yeah. and to a point where I can't I can't distance myself from it but in every single one of those action scenes she's posing she does a pose and looks sexy every single time not to the extent that Zack Snyder shot her even in Batman versus Superman but she's always posing and and this was I I, I kind of put this back to Dark Knight actually because he was always in a pose uh, Christian Bale was and you know, I remember some of the shots in Batman versus Superman. It's always really close up on her. Or it's that really that one shot where she's on the ground and she does that thing with her legs, and it was just like that was unnecessary. Nah, nah, <clears throat> no, I know what you mean. No, I do. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it. You know, um, it's it is interesting sometimes where culture and film meet, where things get caught up in a wave of things where the. The what is actual versus what is fantasy in terms of a, like what a movie is like don't always it takes meet. years yeah it takes years to go back and look at these things yeah it really does to be able to have it with a, a good lens to take it outside of the context of you know the time period and stuff we're in but you know man the the one thing I can't take away from it hearing all the stories about like you know uh, women of all generations that were especially previous generations that were excited. Uh, to see it because it's like, you know, it's something they've been waiting on for years to be able to have like a strong female sure. hero in a movie. You know, that's, that stuff's really neat to hear. And I don't, and, I never want to take away from that, of course. Absolutely not. And I do want to say that too. Th- they, women come from a completely different perspective. You know, like, I don't want to sound like a feminist because it's, it's weird. I, I make it sound like I'm making an argument for, for one way, but I really don't believe that hardly at all. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's completely different for women to see a movie like that. And I wonder what it would be like to sometimes say to be a woman and just then to see something like a Ghostbusters reboot and, and how they felt about that. Cause I knew girls that liked that movie and wonder woman, you know what that meant for them, because we talked about this wonder woman, you know, no one really cared about wonder woman when, when we were younger up until really the movie came out. I mean, I mean, you knew of the TV show, but also we always talked about these kinds of things around other guys so maybe maybe i i underestimated that and women did talk about it more but yeah like if i do think it is a good movie but like women that that loved it and went out and saw it i think that's great i really do it's just <laughs> i can't i can't help i can't help it man she doesn't get anything done without chris pine and i i think that if if you do see it i think you'll see what i'm talking about yeah. And it's and, and I'm not saying she needs Chris Pine. I'm saying that's the way it was written. And I don't think the movie is nearly as pro feminine as people made it out to be. But it's still it's still a good movie. And and Gal Gadot is a, an amazing find yeah. for the film. Mm-hmm. And I do want to see her. I do want to see Justice League mainly for, you know, because I'm a Batman guy and I like Ben Affleck. But I do want to see her as Wonder Woman again. Yeah. Like, that's exciting. And, and to come back from Batman versus Superman, where I honestly thought they shoehorned her into the movie and and it felt awkward and weird uh for her to come back and do this movie and give the performance that she gave more props to her i think she did great 
Well, I, I think that about takes us home. Um, yeah, overall. Sure. Uh, Definitely went on much longer this time we normally do. But uh, in a week, coming out next time the pod comes out, which was either Sunday or Monday, you'll see probably, probably back to the normal Sunday for when did that come out. It's the next installment of, ni- of our journey through 1986. Charlie, I think we have uh, Critters on deck. Is that right? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> March of 86, is that right? Critters? I, I thought March of 86 was um, Highlander. I don't know. I gotta go back and Wait, look. hold on. Oh, I've got it right here. Yes, March of 86 is Highlander. Okay. April is, is okay. Critters. Oh, well. Okay. Well. We oh, get, well. We, we, we get what the, show is this? We get, we, get the, we, get, we get a little delay on the, on the drop-off. So we are doing Critters, but uh, yeah, uh, March of 1986, so that's Highlander. And that was the, that is, uh, the first episode that, that we, I, I believe that we do a, of this show uh, in person. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. yeah, we get to do. We did that together. Yeah. So, yeah, oh, we had a yeah, lot of censoring in that episode. I remember. I re- yeah, that's true. We we do go and go off on that one, but that's that, that's a fun. Episode. That's a fun episode. So yeah, that's next week. When did that come out? It is March of '86. Is with Highlander. So please continue to uh, you know uh, uh, follow us like on Twitter. Uh, we are at Real Change Pod. I'm myself. I'm at William Rinkin eighty three. And I am at CM underscore stabs. We'll see you guys in a week for when did that come out? Highlander, March of 86.